This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Hi, my name is Jeannie and I'm an alcoholic. The AA preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues nor fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation nor institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our main purpose is to stay sober and to help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks Jeannie. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober.
Okay, for anyone who has just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. And we're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So Jeannie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Would you like to tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. Uh, My name is Jeannie and I'm still an alcoholic. Um, I'm 48 years old and I've lived in Christchurch all my life. I manage property and I have four children. Wow. One left home now. Wow, empty nest. And um, how long have you been sober? I've been sober for 18 years now. Wonderful. So Jeannie, tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up. Okay, so I was raised in Shirley in Petrie Street and a family of three. My father is Māori and my mother is Pākehā. Um, I went to Catholic schools because my mother was Catholic. Uh, my father had to become Catholic to marry, marry her. Um, it was a normal average upbringing for the 70s. I played up, I got smacked with the wooden spoon, I used to collect bottles from Dudley Creek with my friends. <laughs> we were kind of free range in those days. And so so just the three of you, no siblings? Oh no, yeah, there was uh, oh, my three. older uh, brother John and my older sister Nikki, plus mum and dad. Wonderful. And um, so... Was alcohol around when you were growing up? Yes, I was uh, raised by an alcoholic nana and an alcoholic mother and an alcoholic father. My brother is a drug addict. The only normal in my family is my sister, Nikki. Okay, so it was all around you. So tell us about your drinking then. How did it start? Okay, well, I guess before I started drinking alcoholically, there were always hungies and barbecues. My parents threw a lot of parties. They were very sociable people. My father played golf, so I spent a lot of time at the Hagley Golf Course, and my mother was very active in the community. So I was often given shandies as a child, Mm. just a tiny bit of beer with a little bit of lemonade on the top, or watered down wine from about the age of, I want to say about six or seven, and that was normal in those days. Mm. Children were often given shandies or watered down wine to Mm. have with a hungi or a barbecue, and it was fun. I wasn't alcoholic at that point. I thought I was very grown up with my shandy and (laughs) used to strum the guitar afterwards and probably had a ball. Mm. It, It wasn't until I was about intermediate that my drinking got serious. And when you say uh, intermediate, meaning as a uh, early teen? Yes. Early teen. And um, what did serious look like? I guess I realised at about the age of 12 that if I had more than one shandy, it felt good. And so I stopped putting in the lemonade and started just having the beer. And my parents didn't notice because they were binge drinking alcoholics. So Mm -hmm. if I took a beer or a glass of wine or even a nip of spirits from Mm -hmm. their liquor cabinet, it was never noticed. They had a massive floor-to-ceiling liquor cabinet Mm -hmm. and I would just help myself when I wanted to. Um, Mostly at first it was just on the weekends and it was kind of harmless for a 12 Mm -hmm. or 13-year-old. In those days, me and my friends would all giggle and help ourselves and and we did it from other parents' liquor cabinets too. Uh, But I had more than most of my friends, if you know what I mean. (laughs) And when you took that drink, what did it do for you? I went from being very nervous and very anxious to feeling like I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof Mm -hmm. and I basically felt like I could take on the world. All of a sudden I felt very intelligent and like I was the (laughs) best at every sport I played, which I wasn't. It just made me feel like I was everything, Mm -hmm. that I really felt that I wasn't. I had a deep sense of self-loathing at the time and when I drank alcohol, that self-loathing went away. And the drinking, was it 
a social were you a social drinker at first I'll say I was social but even at the age of 12 13 on I was sneaking alcohol and taking it to my bedroom so there was a mixture of both mm. I was drinking alone in my room mm. before I'd study my homework I was maintaining a grade A average um, and I'd steal my brother's pot you know mm-hmm. as you do this mm-hmm. was all pretty common for the 70s and 80s this mm-hmm. wasn't uncommon behavior um, and then I would also do it with my friends mm-hmm. but I even I noticed from a young age my friends would have one or two and I'd be emptying uh-huh. the, the wine cask and they, they would have had enough after one or two because they were normal drinkers. Mm. And so so very much the binge drinking, drinking to blackout? Definitely. From a young age I was having blackouts, but I wouldn't have known what they were at no, the time. No. And so how did it progress through your teens into early adulthood? I was raised in an incredibly high-achieving family. Um, my father played rugby for Canterbury. My brother did too. My sister was a bodybuilder. My mother was high-achieving academically. And I I was high-achieving up till when I started drinking. So I, I was a grade-A average until I was about 13, and then my grades started to slip as I used more and more. Mm. I went from the A squad and netball down to the C squad, and mm. to my father's shame. Just everything slid a little. So I was still participating widely at school because I was at a private school at the time, a private Catholic school. So I was maintaining everything that I always did, Mm. but I was no longer in the A team Mm. and in the A. Oh, I think the nuns kept me in the A stream class because they knew I was intelligent, but I was regularly in the headmistress's office being warned for bad behaviour because I would get caught smoking and drinking wine at school and the Mm. nuns frowned upon that. And so, you know, were there any other consequences as you sort of, as you as you grew up and did you ever get into trouble with the law? I managed to keep on the right side of the law. I got picked up for shoplifting at 13 mm-hmm. uh, and I continued to steal. It didn't mm. stop me stealing. It mm. didn't work what mm. they did. Um, because I stole regularly, I would drive around drunk regularly, Uh I would hop on my brother's Vespa and drive around drunk and unlicensed. So I was breaking the law all the time, Mm. I was just good at not getting caught. Sure. And um, what about consequences for your relationships with your family? Uh... My father was very unhappy with my behaviour only if I bad-mouthed my mother. Uh So he, he would let my grades slip. He would Mm -hmm. let it slide that I wasn't on the A squad in football and touch rugby and netball and all my sports. He would let that slide. But if I badmouthed my mother, I got a thumping. And um, at any point, did you think this isn't normal and maybe I should... Did you ever try to stop? Yes. When I was sober, I knew my behaviour was abnormal. Mm -hmm. But I just was not sober often enough that I did anything of it. I was probably sober at a stretch during school hours from about eight till three, Mm. I was very rarely clean, even in those days. And and did you lose any jobs as a result of your drinking? But uh, Yes, I lost lots of jobs, but it was easy to get jobs in those days. So I was always employed from the age of 12. I worked for two hours after school every day. I worked nights. Um, I had boyfriends who would help support my habit. Mm. I had friends who would help Mm. support my habit. So I earned plenty of money, but it all went on drugs and alcohol, and I needed to steal on top of that, if that makes sense. 
So tell us about then, you know, what was the decline in your mental, emotional, spiritual well-being and describe your rock bottom. Okay, so at the time when I was using, which was from about the age of 12, 13 on, I also had a severe eating disorder. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't eat food because I knew then that A, I'd be thin and B, the alcohol and drugs would affect me better. So on a good day, I would eat maybe an apple. Mm. Um... I would use as often as I could. Sometimes I couldn't use on Monday and Tuesday, and those were my worst days um, because I got paid on Wednesday. So Mm. I was fine Mm. from Wednesday through Sunday. Monday and Tuesday were very hard Mm. if I didn't steal drugs off my brother or I used to also steal pharmaceuticals off my mother because Mm -hmm. she took both Valium and anti-anxiety medication, Mm. and I used to crush those up and put them in my joints. Sure. So what was it that brought you into uh, AA or or recovery? I have to say that I met my husband in high school. We were high school sweethearts. I met him at 16. I got pregnant and lost my first baby. I had two more babies in quick succession after that. Mm -hmm. I was married at 19. What made me look at AA was when my mother threatened to take my children away from me because everyone around me knew I was an alcoholic and a drug addict mm-hmm. and they could see that it was affecting my ability to be a mother to my children. So the only reason I even looked at walking in the doors of AA was fear of losing my children. And um, tell us about that first meeting. What was it like? I related very much so to the sharing However, I was so full of shame and guilt, I found it very hard to focus on anything other than my first sponsor who just welcomed me into the fellowship and with open arms. And the rest of the meeting, you know, what were the people like? Were they welcoming? They were incredibly welcoming. Um, I was given a beginner's pack with phone numbers of different men and women on it to call. I was invited out for coffee after the meeting and that was a rare treat because I'd stopped being invited places a long time ago. And and that's something that you actually, uh, you enjoyed doing early in recovery? I actually found it quite nerve-wracking at first because I'd gotten so used to drinking at home Mm -hmm. alone because towards the end of my drinking, maybe the last year or so, I stopped going out. Sure. Because people basically got in the way of my drinking. Mm -hmm. So I would just buy lots of vodka and go home and sit in my room and drink it all and try and be the best mother I could be to my children. But I was really failing epically in every aspect of my life. Mm. And so coming into AA was great, but I found it hard to socialise with people sober sober Mm -hmm. because I'd become so very antisocial in Mm -hmm. my drinking. And so, so tell us about the, the early years in sobriety. You know, what are some of the things that you did to, to maintain your sobriety? I relearned every single skill that I'd lost through using. So if it makes sense, every day that I used and drank, I was able to pay the bills, mm-hmm. get my children to all their extracurricular activities. I was able to maintain a full-time job mm-hmm. and run the house and the finances. But as soon as I stopped drinking and using, I couldn't do any of it. So I basically had to relearn all of my skills sober. And Mm -hmm. it felt very much like I was a five-year-old relearning everything. But it felt wonderful because I was sober, if that makes sense. And um, so some of the tools that we have in AA, sponsorship, service, how important have they been to you? My first sponsor, I wouldn't have been able to relearn all those skills without her. She used to come around to my house regularly and she would tell me to put lipstick on and put the washing on because I'd wake up Mm. and panic. Because Mm. I wasn't loaded, I would look at my children and I wouldn't know how to get them to school. So Mm -hmm. the first thing I did at eight o'clock was call my sponsor Mm. and she would say, 
She would tell me exactly what I'd do because I'd forget to eat breakfast, I'd forget to pack my kids' lunches. So she would remind me every day of the simple things and I relearned all those skills only through sponsorship Mm -hmm. while I was working the steps of AA. And so the steps have been an important part of your recovery journey as well? Yes, I I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the 12 steps of AA. Mm -hmm. And service? Has service been part of your recovery? Yes, my sponsor drilled that into me very early. I was expected (laughs) to pick up newcomers for meetings immediately. I was expected to do dishes and empty the ashtrays outside. (laughs) Um, And when I was six months sponsor, uh, sorry, six months sober, she made me become, I think it was treasurer was my first position, and then I became secretary. And Mm -hmm. eventually she let me become a general service representative Mm -hmm. and an intergroup representative. Uh, representative and of course I got to travel to southern area assemblies which was a real treat again I was so amazed that I was being invited places and these are the things that keep AA running yes and um and are are such a a important part of our our recovery program um tell us about your life today uh I'm no longer scared of having coffee with my friends which is wonderful so the fear and the anxiety that I suffered from for maybe the first two or three years in recovery dissipated at around the five-year mark okay and I was able to really enjoy working being sociable with my friends uh redecorating the house I bought a lot of property and ran them I was a landlady I did so many things in recovery Mm. that I never would have been able to do if I hadn't maintained my using I think I would have lost not just my children I would have lost all of my money I would have lost all my properties Mm. and at that point I was doing very well Mm, mm. and so what are some of the things that you've done you know when when things aren't going so well how do you cope with difficulties Uh, The same way I always have. I call my sponsor or I will call someone I'm sponsoring. So Mm -hmm, I will mm -hmm. either ask for help from my sponsor or I will help someone else. And when I do that, it stops me thinking about myself. Mm, And and that's so amazing. How, you know, how has your life changed, um, you know, relationships, family, maintaining those friendships? Um, I've had big stuff happen in recovery. When I was around, I must have been 15 years sober, I decided to leave my husband who had become addicted to workaholism uh-huh. uh, to the point where he simply wasn't there for me and the children. Mm. So I made that decision with my sponsor and in recovery to leave him. Mm-hmm. And of course that traumatised my children. So mm. I was able to support them through that. Uh, the situation was further exacerbated when he took off for Chile to start a new life with his new girlfriend and I was left as a solo mother. Mm. Uh, My life changed substantially at that point. I went from being quite wealthy to having no money at all and Mm. being on the benefit again. Uh, But I got through it all only with the support from members of AA. Men came round and helped me with home maintenance. Women Mm -hmm. came round with meals. Uh, AA just wrapped itself around me and fully supported me um, through my divorce. Since then, I've gradually become stronger mentally because I was incredibly anxious the year mm. after I left mm. my husband. It was very hard being a solo mother. But now I love I love it. Mm. My children have grown up. Uh, one's at university and working full time. The other one uh, does landscape gardening. Uh, two are flatting and about to start studying. So... I guess what's really happened is that my life in itself hasn't changed that much, but it's the life beyond my wildest dreams mm. simply because I'm clean and every day mostly is a joy. And, you know, life on life's terms, you haven't had to pick up a drink. No, I haven't. And when I think now that I someone only had to look at me the wrong way and I'd be grabbing a bottle of vodka, mm. 
I've got through some pretty big stuff without having to drink. And not drinking in itself is a miracle for me. Being able to conquer trauma and supporting Mm. my children through trauma, it's only because of AA and the tools that I've learned through the 12 steps. Uh, Otherwise, I wouldn't have been the mother that I am today. I wouldn't have Mm. managed to be a mother at all. They would have left. Um, And my children adore me, and that is truly the greatest gift of my recovery. Mm. AA is described as a spiritual program, not a religious program. What does spirituality mean to you? Uh, When I came into AA, I was still loosely practicing Catholicism, uh, but that went by the wayside, and I visited all sorts of different churches. I tried Hinduism, I tried uh, the Thai temple, I tried uh, going to Rehua, I tried... Sikh temple, I tried, I think that's it. And I did all that over about three years. Basically, it was higher power hunting season. And and my higher power today is a lot simpler than that. I simply believe Mm. that there is a power greater than me, and that is that power that keeps me sober. But I believe that AA has given me the gift of being able to look for spirituality Mm. wherever I like. And Mm. if it wasn't for AA, I wouldn't have visited all those amazing temples. Mm -mm. And I, I met some truly amazing people through those walks through different spiritualities. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I don't go to church regularly anymore, every day starts with prayer and every day finishes with prayer. And I've learnt to pause when agitated during the day. But those are all gifts of recovery. And and the spirituality, you know, has changed over the years, obviously. Definitely. And 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 something that you practice on a daily on a daily basis. Yeah, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my higher power. The only way I stay sober every day and don't take a drink is through prayer and meditation with my higher power. Jenny, what would you recommend um, to some of our listeners who think that they may have a drinking problem? Uh, if there's anyone out there listening right now who thinks they may have a problem with alcohol, reach out, tell a friend, tell your parent, tell anyone. Mm-hmm. and get the help you need because Alcoholics Anonymous is available seven days a week. We have, I think, 68 meetings in Christchurch mm-hmm. alone, so there is always someone available. So all you need to do is reach out and tell someone and then call the rooms. The number mm-hmm. is 0800, and there is always someone available to take your call. And, um, you know, what questions could someone ask them themselves if they're just not sure, you know, to help them decide whether or not they need help? Okay, what what made me be concerned about my drinking and reach out for help was when I realised that I couldn't stop at one. Mm. It didn't matter if I had one, it didn't matter if I had 20. I was not able to stop. Mm. So if you're out there and thinking you have no control over your drinking, you probably have an issue with it and you should reach out for help. Well, Jeannie, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. It's been lovely to have you here. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. As Jenny mentioned, there are over 60 meetings a week at Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm.
You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business, but if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.